We'll be turning to Acts chapter 2. And as you turn there, I want to tell you about a phrase that recently has stuck with me since I've heard it. And as with most spiritual things that get a hold of me, I immediately want to, you know, preach a sermon series on it or, you know, study it thoroughly. I was listening to a theology podcast, radio show, whatever you want to call it. And anyways, the commentators were talking about a time in church history, which reminds me a lot of our day. And the commentators were saying the church was just basically hiding under a rock waiting and assuming that God must be coming back because things were pretty dark and grim. And they said, the commentators then said, they didn't leave room for the possibilities of grace. Along with that idea they called the optimism of grace. And it's this idea that no matter the stakes, no matter how entrenched our culture, our society Our world is into the roots and depths of depravity and darkness that our God is still a good farmer. (laughs) He can still pull out weeds. He can still turn it into fields of righteousness. The idea is that you and I are on the winning team with Team Jesus. And what if Jesus doesn't win by an exit strategy? What if he doesn't win by retreating and letting hell scorch the earth before Jesus is victorious? But we think about what Jesus says in Matthew 16:18 that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. We've made this mention here before, but the gates are a defensive structure, and so the kingdom of God is on hell's doorstep, and it's winning. The kingdom of God is the one that's on attack. It's an optimistic and rather life-giving concept for me personally as we look at our world, and instead of thinking, if not even wishing, that God would just come back and take us out of this world that's going to hell in a handbasket, that perhaps we need to have a little more confidence and hope and courage in our God of grace, who already has done the most work of the most significant problem, and he's made a way through his own death, burial, and resurrection to for sinners to find peace and reconciliation with God. But God's got grace to give to the world through His Spirit and His church if we would just be willing vessels. And I bring all this up that this concept that's been swirling around in my head and heart that just came to me as I was looking at our passage. The passage where Peter says, in essence, we are witnessing Scripture being fulfilled in our very eyes. We're witnessing the very Spirit of God pouring out on people. And we're witnessing salvation being made possible and made open to all people if they just call on the name of the Lord. It's an optimistic message. It's the Gospel which is called good news. And the Gospel is always completely Relevant and completely necessary and completely life-giving for any and all generations. I invite you to stand as we read together today Luke chapter 2 verses 14 through 21. Acts, man, here we go. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. See if the Lord will pour His Spirit out on me today and speak to you in the language that's most sensible. 
But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the only the third hour of the day. But this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, uh, I guess I look at Ecclesiastes and he says nothing. there's nothing new under the sun. We have a tendency to not live by your timeline, but to live by our timeline and to look at the world around us and wonder where you're at and think that this must be the end of days because it looks so dark and grim. Help us to not overlook the darkness and grimness of you becoming flesh and dying on the cross. And help us not to suppose that we've seen darker days. We've not seen darker days if we've not beheld you at the cross. Help us to take hope that you have transformed that darkness into the greatest light and so you can transform any darkness into light. Help us to live in light of that. Help us to have trust and belief in your Holy Spirit and in grace. And help us to take optimism and confidence to know that you are a great God and if you are with us, there can be nothing against us. Father, speak to us. Get me out of the way and say what it is you desire. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So since it is Sunday and I'm giving you a sermon, or as some humorously call a speech, <laughs> and since Sunday sermon and speech all begin with S's, I thought it would only make sense if I structure more S's, this sermon in four S's. <laughs> So, I know you didn't follow me, that's why I'm going to bring it up here. We're going to be looking at the scripture fulfilled in the last days. Next, we're going to be looking at spirit-enabled prophecy. And then we're going to look at signs and wonders to testify. And then finally, on how we are saved by God. So, scripture fulfilled in the last days. Spirit-enabled prophecy, signs and wonders to testify, and then saved by God. But first we catch up with Peter. And I want to remind you what just happened in our text that we talked about last week. And really since the opening of the book of Acts, it has been building up to the moment that just happened. The Spirit fell on the gathered 120 disciples and they began to give the message of the gospel in languages that they hadn't prior learned or learned prior, whatever. And nevertheless, it was in languages that were represented by a multitude of people in Jerusalem that day in time for the Pentecost. And I want you to picture this. 
So you show up. I don't know. Let's just say you show up at the city of Seattle. And I had to work this into my sermon. The city of Seattle has a professional hockey league coming. Very important. No. But the opening season is 2021. And let's just say for the opening day, you show up for the opening season because you suddenly like hockey. And uh, Seattle is rather multicultural. And so Americans are there and Koreans are there and Latinos are there and Japanese are there and Chinese are there. And of course, since it's hockey, Canadians are there. And so uh, they're all ready to go into the new stadium and suddenly God steals the show. And you're like, thank God I wouldn't go to a hockey game. There's a few 120 Christians who came to from local churches and they didn't come for the game. They came to pray for those coming to the game. And suppose since God is good and gracious, he pours out on these 120 people and they start speaking in Korean and Chinese and Japanese and Spanish and French and uh, the local Native American tribes that may be represented. And in all those languages, they are clearly presenting the gospel. Each person is hearing in their own native first language, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You don't need to drown in your guilt. You don't need to suffer the consequence of what sin does. You don't need to live separated from God. And Jesus has made a way through death because Jesus rose again, signifying he overcame sin and overcame death. We'll talk about this more at the end of the message. But that's the kind of idea here. And we ended last week on just this downer at the real more exciting Pentecost Sunday. This, this rain on the parader. So using our illustrations, perhaps a few Seattleites, a few hecklers sipping their coffee, start railing. They're drunk. They're all speaking gibberish. And despite the fact that the rest of the crowd is saying, no, they're not speaking gibberish. I understood everything. Peter takes this insult where it really happened and he turns it into an invitation. Verse 14 through the beginning of verse 17 says this. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is the only third hour of the day. But this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, and I'm going to pause right there. First thing I take note of, is that leaders like Peter stand with, not above, not for, not in the place of. The only leader we have that stands in our place is Jesus Christ. And that small little word with is the Greek S-Y-N, sin. It's the same word to use what we call the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are associated with each other. Because they have similar content. Or we think about synonyms, words associated with other words and similar meaning. Well, Peter is S-Y-N, the eleven. He's associated with the eleven. He's speaking with the eleven. And I can take a note here and say with Luke that that's my hope and my passion and my understanding of being a shepherd is that I'm with you. I'm not over you. I'm not above you. So Peter stood with the eleven and he acts as a leader as he was also the one who began the process of replacing Judas. Luke records that Peter says, give ear to my words. 
And the idea of give ear to is only found here in the New Testament. And it basically means tune in. (laughs) Don't drown me out. Listen to what I'm about to say. It's important. And it's really important. It's actually life altering. Because Peter is about to unveil the humongous monumental fact that this crowd is witnessing the fulfillment of a huge prophecy, a massive moment in universe history, if I can say all that lightly. (laughs) I can't really overstate what's happening here and what's about to be said. So Peter said, tune in or give ear to, and it sounds like light words, but it's all that Peter has. And Peter first answers the insult. And he might be kind of funny, but he's just telling the truth. He says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the only the third hour of the day. And in Jewish timing, that's about 9 a.m. They count the first hour about sunrise. So this isn't a mild American tongue in cheek. What are you talking about? Someone drunk at 9 a.m. People do that at night. (laughs) It's actually a known fact that on feast days like Pentecost, that Jews would actually fast everything until 10 a.m. And then they would dig in, and the usual drink was served with wine, which made it possible for people who might indulge and get drunk. So Peter is not saying, hey, it's not 5 o'clock yet. He's actually saying it's very unlikely, if not impossible, as nobody who is a good Jew would, have, would even have alcohol in their system because they haven't had any food in their system, period. But Peter then reveals it's not a matter of who's been drinking, but it is a matter of who has been speaking. And he says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be God declares dot, dot, dot. And really, the remaining of the text we study in this sermon will be Joel's prophecy. But I want us to see here, though, a few logical points Peter sees the event taking place as A, uttered by the prophet Joel. So in other words, what's happened here today is what was talked about by Joel. And then B, the prophecy that Peter draws from is a prophecy that opens with God saying, in the last days. So these two logical points together, Joel prophesied about the events that happened that day. And the prophecy of Joel that talked about Recognize they happen in the last days, so this leads me to make a logical conclusion that Peter was living in the last days. And he was, and we are. There is just many, many verses that we could cover, but to spare you we won't, to reveal that the last days started with Jesus coming. And the entire era between Jesus' first coming and his final coming are the last days. So to keep this Out of the same mouth, I want to look at something Peter says in his letter that we have in our Bibles. So over in his first epistle, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 20 through 21, it kind of demonstrates what the Bible means by this term, the last days. He says, he, that is Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. What the Bible means by the last days or the last times 
is consider a timeline of redemptive history. In other words, it's the last days, it's the last time, because one thing remains before our world is done. And that is the final coming. The events that encompass that, primarily judgment. And so from Peter's first sermon on Pentecost to June 16, 2019, nothing has changed in terms of our timeline as far as God is concerned of world history. The way to him has always been through Jesus and everyone has had the same offer of salvation. Everyone has had the barrier between life in heaven or life in hell removed by Jesus if we just accept that invitation. And so to say prior, that is different than how it was prior to when Jesus came. We think about what the author of Hebrews points out and he says there was an entire sacrificial system put in place. But when Jesus came, that entire system was done away with and it's only through Jesus that we come to and we're allowed to come. Let me say it this way. The Bible describes Jesus' relationship with the church as a husband and bride. (laughs) Christy and I are in our last days, so to speak. Not because one of us is going to die. (laughs) but because there's nothing new remaining to alter what's happened between our wedding and when we die. Jesus has his bride, and his bride, by his grace, is growing with every soul that's saved. But for the sake of big events in history, we're in the last days, because he's not going to divorce his bride, nor is he altering the terms. Does that make sense? Peter looks to Scripture, and he sees... Reason to believe that at his moment in time in history, the last days were inaugurated. So we move from Scripture fulfilled in the last days, and we find our second S of the sermon, Spirit-enabled prophecy. We pick it up again in verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter is referencing this prophecy, and he's saying it's been fulfilled before your eyes. Namely, the spirit has poured out on all flesh, no matter male, female, young, old, no matter what class of society. And then they prophesied. Now it's interesting, we read then, we found that they spoke in other tongues. But they prophesied in other tongues. In first, and, and actually in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is telling the Corinth Christians about the desire that Paul has personally for everyone to prophesy more so than speaking in tongues. But then Paul connects both of these gifts, if you will, speaking in tongues and prophecy, And he says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And the the point being is Paul is saying when speaking in tongues is done at public and church, an interpreter should be present. So to make the gift edifying for the body, because without interpretation, it's not edifying. How will I benefit you? As Paul says here. Peter is, in essence, using Joel to verify the spirit poured out on these people because they are prophesying. 
and they prophesied because it's not that they spoke unintelligible languages, rather they spoke languages that everybody in the crowd knew and heard. As Acts 2.11 stated, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And I want to take a moment here and just talk about prophesying because I'm not sure, but I hope all of you don't just hear foretelling the future when I say prophesying. (laughs) In one of my study Bibles, how they put it, it's both a prediction of events or prophesying can be a proclamation of God's word now. It's foretelling and it's forthtelling. One of my Bible dictionaries puts it this way. Prophecy is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It consists of a word or oracle given or revealed by God through the initiative and inspiration of the Holy Spirit and conveyed by a willing participant, sometimes designated as a prophet or as one who prophesies. A prophecy is given in order to meet one or more needs within the Christian community for guidance and direction, edification, encouragement, consolation, or witness. And then listen to this, and it ultimately points back to the one who gives this gift. The Bible would put some limitations on this gift throughout the New Testament. That prophecy is to be orderly, and it's not to be received as true if it goes against God's word. And it is subservient to the authority of God's word. When we study the Bible, sometimes we ask, are things prescriptive or descriptive? In other words, is what we are talking about prescriptive of the entire body of Christ? Or is it descriptive of an event that happened and that's it? Like Judas went and hung himself. I don't think that's prescriptive. (laughs) That just described what happened to Judas. And I think it's important to note here that a little bit of both is taking place concerning Peter's observation on this event at Pentecost. Because Peter is saying, hey, this prophecy fulfilled or a prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes. And he says this about one event in history, namely Pentecost Sunday, where a multitude began to prophesy. And so what we read in Acts is descriptive, an amazing event, but it's also prescriptive. Because the prophecy happens to have bearing on where we're at now. Because we're still in the end times. And the Spirit still pours out on people to prophesy. And the Spirit still gives people visions and dreams. And the Spirit is actually really liberal with this. So this is a, a monumental thing. Because finally, beyond the amazing reality of Jesus' ministry, now the Spirit is filling all people. Not just empowering Jesus and his disciples. And he still does it today. He still inspires willing believers to be prophets. He still inspires willing believers through visions and dreams. And so Peter saw scripture being fulfilled in the last days. He talked about the spirit enabling all people to prophesy. And he also saw it was the last days because of signs and wonders had testified to this fact. We read beginning with verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now, this is going to be blowing your mind, but there is actually a debate (laughs) about this, what this refers to. It seems likely to me. Since Peter is using it as a proof for the audience 
that he must be referring to something that they could test. Does that make sense? As he's as in you're presenting this to us, Peter, as proof. Where have we seen it? Why are you bringing this up as an argument? And so I think especially of the darkened sun and the red moon, the scriptures tell us. Let's look at the same author. Luke writes Acts. He also writes Luke. He says in Luke 23, 44 and 45, when Jesus is on the cross and expiring, it was now the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed. There's this wonderful show. Some of you have it. It's called The Star of Bethlehem. And in it, this presenter, he's a self-studied astronomer. He sets out to discover what was Matthew referring to about the star that led the wise men. And in his studies, though, he also studies the skies over what he believes to be the date of Jesus' crucifixion. And he discovers that there was a partial lunar eclipse on April 3rd, 33 A.D., the day he believes Jesus was crucified, a red moon. And he connects this passage here out of the mouth of Peter and says it as I just stated. Peter is using this prophecy as evidence for his hearers. He's saying, here's what's happening. Joel's prophecy, the spirit is falling out on people to prophecy. The sun is darkening. The moon is turning to blood. What about the wonders in heaven and the signs on the earth? Blood, fire and smoke. A few possibilities, and I encourage you to go deeper yourself. But one possibility, some say, is that maybe this is a general reference to the ministry of Jesus. You look at the book of John. What does John call Jesus' life? But a series of signs. Jesus stopped storms. Jesus spilled blood and saves us with it. What about fire and smoke? Well, some say that this is a reference to a war that would come and Jerusalem would fall in 70 A.D. If you were here when we studied Mark 15, we read about wonders in the heaven that people even saw entire armies in the skies coming to Jerusalem. And ultimately, it ended with the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. And it was a destruction that really cannot be overstated. It was a day of the Lord, a great and magnificent day, as verse 20 would say. Still, others would look at this and see a future fulfillment that is the end of the world and the end of human history as we know it, when God comes at the end of the world. Maybe that's what Peter is talking about. You're welcome to believe any of these. I personally would lean towards the first two, primarily because, as I just stated, Peter seems to be using this prophecy of Joel, and he's saying it's taking place. He's presenting it as a proof to this crowd, meant to inspire them to believe. And this is the final important part, that people are saved by God says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I like how one of my commentaries puts it. I think it says it best. The ultimate intention of Peter is to declare the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I just imagine Peter trying to like whip through everything. Yeah, there's a prophecy taking place. It's being fulfilled. But I want to tell you about Jesus. I, that is Peter's hope. That's the church's hope. This should be our ultimate desire. I want you to hear that God, in his entirety of human history, in his entirety of everything he does for all of time, I believe, leans into this invitation. The world points us to this invitation that you and I might be saved. 
if all of human history and if the entire universe, and I'm talking about occasions and events and time, if that were a solar system, the very Son would be the Son of God on the cross dying for our sins so that we might be saved. It's universal in scope. Everyone who calls, everyone is invited. No matter what you've done, no matter what sins anybody has ever committed, no matter the darkest of thoughts you've ever had, no matter our upbringing, our history, our baggage, everyone is invited. And it's personal in relationship. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, not the name of the Woodland Friends Church, thank God, not the name of Pastor Kevin, not the name of even the Bible, but the name of the Lord. And when Joel wrote this prophecy, he wrote down the word Yahweh in that Lord. But out of the mouth of Peter, he refers to Jesus because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. And what Jesus, what God Almighty offers is a personal relationship with him. Not through anybody else but him. Through Jesus, you are invited to live a life in communion with God. This universal call, everyone who calls... And this personal relationship on the very name of God is also intentional in purpose. Intentional in purpose shall be saved. That is God's intention. That's God's hope. That's God's goal. And that's good news. That's a good message. Because if people say, why do I even need Jesus? You have a good answer. (laughs) If people want to know, why is it a good time to start praying to Jesus in our bad, dark world? Guess what you get to say? Guess what God does for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord? They shall be saved. Friends, when was Peter preaching this? Peter was preaching this after God became flesh and dwelt among us. Peter was preaching after this God in flesh was wrongfully accused, horribly tortured and disfigured, terribly beaten and wounded, excruciatingly murdered on a cross and mocked through the entire process. Peter was preaching this after he, Peter himself, denied and abandoned God in the flesh in his darkest hour. And instead of judgment, instead of retaliation, instead of anger and wrath and hatred and how dare you and I came and you did this to me and you've dropped the last straw. No, rather, when God became flesh and we killed him, he rose again and saved us instead. That's the kind of God he is. He's a pretty good God. He desires all to be saved, not to die. He wants a personal relationship with us, not a master-slave relationship. He says, I've called you Friends, sounds like familiar to me. He wants to save us, not to ruin us. And so if God can turn around this little predicament, what to do when God becomes flesh and we kill him, and he's able to turn that into our salvation, do you or I have any reason to fear, to wonder, to say, God's got to be coming back to judge, things are horrible. Say that to our dying God, beaten, bloody, and disfigured on the cross. It's bad, God. Have you ever had any bad days? (laughs) As bad as God dying on the cross? Nothing can be as bad as that. And I mean that with all sincerity. Yes, babies are dying. Horrible. 
Wars are taking place, but God became flesh and we killed him. That doesn't sound possible. Nothing can be as bad as that. And so the point is, is make room for the possibility of grace. Have optimism in grace. Believe when Joel says and when Peter says and when the Holy Spirit through Joel and Peter and Luke's recording that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. Are you part of that everyone? Are you moved to inspire more people to be part of that everyone? Because Scripture was fulfilled as in this is true. The Spirit was filling believers to prophesy because the Spirit of God is true and His time is with us now and signs and wonders were testifying that God had indeed shown up and that the truth is and the truth always will be that our hope, our only hope, and our great consolation and our hope in any times of sadness and darkness is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and pray and then I'm going to invite you to sing a song together. Father, if I'm tempted when I look around to want to go and hide under a rock. And to pray that you just hastily bring the end of the world. What was I doing having kids in this society? What was I doing? What was I thinking? And sometimes we're quick to want to take sadness and depression and feeling defeated and nobody likes you. And But that's all happened before. The world came and nobody liked you. You came in the world, nobody liked you. But you turned that around to save us. Father, help us to believe in the power of your grace and the kindness that you offer. Help us to believe that anybody and everybody who calls on you shall be saved. That you're not storing up tons and tons and tons of wrath that you just can't wait to release on the world. But rather, your word tells us that you hate the death of the wicked. Your word tells us that you desire all people to be saved. Even the people in the news that we don't like. Help us to pray for each and every person we come across. Help us to pray for each and every event with confidence to know that you are a redeemer and that you do call us friends and that you do love each and every person and that you're more than willing to save anybody who calls. Father, we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.